Carl Icahn's back in the news, Jamie Dimon says it's unfair, and Berkshire may be a siffy. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This here is David Hansen. David, Justin Bieber was just arrested in your college town. I don't want to say hometown, but your college town of Miami. Uh, What's going on? Nobody could have seen this coming. Driving drunk in Miami? That's also known as driving in Miami. That's just, that's just par for the course. Whoa, whoa. Not a fun place to drive. Very Throwing scary. the entire city under the bus there. Very scary. On that note, let's just get right to the headlines. Uh, first headline of the day comes from the Wall Street Journal. Icon calls for eBay to split up. So David eBay announced earnings yesterday. But that news was drastically overshadowed by Carl Icon getting himself back out there in front of the cameras saying... I want PayPal to be spun off. He wants it alone. It was kind of curious. It was up 10% after hours. It's now since come back to earth. It's only up a percent or so. It was kind of curious because Carl Icahn's not the first one to think of this. I mean, the idea of spinning off PayPal has been around for years and years and years. Uh, I don't think it makes too much sense. You look at PayPal, it's growing at around 19% revenue growth. The marketplace growing at 12%. They're both businesses that are growing at a fairly good clip. So... Mm -hmm. I don't see this as a clear-cut, PayPal has to be spun off to unleash some value here for the shareholders. It would clearly get a high multiple if it was spun off, but there are still some benefits of them being together. So I think PayPal was right in saying, we've thought about it, we're not going to do it, Carl. i got to admit, I'm on the same page as Carl Icahn. I, I think that PayPal is ready to be a standalone business. I can see the initial... Uh, why they would combine those two businesses, and, and there is there is some overlap. I mean, uh, most PayPal, I think most PayPal or most eBay mm-hmm. transactions happen over PayPal. It's very easy. I've done actually a couple eBay transactions over the past year, uh, all with PayPal. But I think PayPal, and I think shareholders would get rewarded for PayPal being its own business. Uh, second headline. Second headline of the day. J.P. Morgan, CEO Diamond, says government cases were unfair. And that's from Reuters. Unfair. Wow. And he said this to Andrew Ross Sorkin the other day, saying, what are your thoughts? And he said, I wasn't happy, but you move on. Well, there you go. Uh, just the other day when we were talking about, we were talking a little bit about Diamond and J.P. Morgan's response to all of the, the government's cases and everything. And I said that, that, that J.P. Uh, Morgan and Diamond had kind of had a dog with its tail between the legs kind of approach to it. And this is a sign of Diamond pushing back just a little bit. Um, he may want to be careful about that, his outspokenness. Some say, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, mm-hmm. but some say it was his outspokenness that got him in, got the company into so much hot water. But, but I kind of see where he's coming from, from the perspective that a lot of what uh, J.P. Morgan uh, faced, a lot of the suits that they faced, were from companies uh, that they purchased. And, and it was the predecessor companies doing the wrong things. I mean, to some extent, you've got to hold somebody liable for it. But J.P. Morgan, as an overall institution, and his leadership um, and his executive team's leadership has gotten a lot of bad press for things that they didn't necessarily have any control over. Part of me wants him to just say... We're not going to talk about it anymore. We're moving on. But I can see why he wants to kind of defend the company because it's all the employees looking up to him. And if he just says, mistakes were made, we're moving on, mm-hmm. it kind of throws them under the bus. And he was saying it's unfair because this happened at old companies. These people don't work here anymore. So he's trying – if I want to justify it, he's trying to stand up for his employees. But part of me also just wants him to say, 
we're not going to talk about it. Let's move on. But you know a big part of it is him standing up for his own ego. Exactly. (laughs) All right, third headline. We're going over to... Business Insider. Oh, Business Insider. There it is. Uh, The U.S. government may decide Berkshire Hathaway is too big to fail. This would be an interesting turn for for Warren Buffett that suddenly his firm, which invests in in a a couple too-big-to-fail banks, Mm -hmm. right, Uh, would now be deemed a too-big-to-fail institution itself. Right. This is being reported from Bloomberg that they're being tossed around as possibly getting the designation here, and they they fit the bill. It's uh, a systemic risk institution is over $50 billion in assets. They have over $450 billion in assets, so they're definitely big enough. They engage in insurance operations. They have derivatives on their books, so they fit some of the criteria. I think we haven't really thought of them as that because they weathered the last crisis so well. It was not even a question whether Berkshire was still in good standing. They were the ones giving out lifelines, so maybe they get the designation, but I don't think it really impacts their business. I, you know, I, I think Berkshire should be labeled a SIFI along with Apple and Exxon as well. I mean, these companies are just so big. They, you know, the government should just step in and put labels on all <laughs> big companies. Anything that gets big is obviously bad. I, I think this, is, this gets a little bit silly. Uh, from a banking perspective, um, I, I think it makes sense to, to look at what are the what are the banks that, that are too big to fail. What are the banks that pose systemic risk? I, I don't know. I just don't. I don't see it with Berkshire. Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something here that the regulators see. But I think it's just. Uh, I think regulation is getting a little carried away. If Berkshire is labeled a SIFI, you're not worried as a shareholder. Wor- worried. N- either, neither way am I uh, worried. All right. Good enough. All right. Uh, Focus for today, we're going to talk a little bit about the SEC website, sec.gov in particular, the Edgar uh, filing system that anybody can go on and access for free. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've talked, there's a a picture of it right there. We've talked a few times on the show about how much information we get from the SEC website. And in fact, yesterday we were answering a listener question asking about where to go for information. And I mentioned the SEC website. But the thing is, is it's a government website. It's, it's not a bad website, mm-hmm. but it can be a little bit overwhelming the right. first time you go in there. So um, I, I know you've got some pictures. Why don't you walk us through a few of the, the pictures that you took here, and I'll jump in. Okay, so if we just go to kind of the search page, and even that's a little bit tricky to get to, you can just Google SEC search, and it'll take you to this. Or SEC Edgar. SEC Edgar. It'll take you to the page where you can do, it says fast search, and you mm-hmm. type in the ticker of a company. So if you type in BAC for Bank of America, it'll give you a page that looks like this. If you're watching, if you're listening, it basically says Bank of America, and then there's a list of filings uh, based on date. Now, the list of filings can go on and on and on and on. So then you can utilize kind of the search function down in the, I guess, lower left-hand uh, where it says yeah. filter results, filing type. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you can type in your 10Ks, your 10Qs, your proxy statements, your DEF14, or whatever you want to type in there. So if you type in your 10Ks, hit search, that'll give you the full list of 10Ks going back years. You can go back to 2004, 2005. Uh, so you can get a pretty extensive list of what's available there. So that's, that's kind of the basic search the company, search the filing type, and then it'll be in chronological order in terms of the years there. So what I'll, the only thing I'll add, I, I think that's a great overview. So searching based on the ticker, and then when you get in there, the, the types that I usually do, the, the filter that I usually do, is sometimes I'll actually just put 10 into the, uh, the search filter, mm-hmm. and then that'll give me all of the 10Ks and all of the 10Qs going back. Um, 
the like you said the proxy the the filing type on that is def 14a mm-hmm. and there's actually sometimes they'll have amendments to the to the proxy statement so what you want to look for is def and then a space and then the 14a right. and you'll know that that's that's the original filing that's the full mm-hmm. filing that you want to look at um, there's also you also may want to look at um, S4 or S1 filings if it's a if it's a newer company to the market right. um, or there's also the 424, I think it's 424B4, I believe it is. That's the final prospectus if you want to look at an IPO, a recent mm-hmm. IPO. Um, what's a re- The only recent IPO that comes to mind is Noodles and Company. Mm-hmm. The, or, Twitter. Twitter, okay, mm-hmm. Twitter. If you want to look at the Twitter, you'd, you'd look up. I usually just do a search for 424, mm-hmm. and that'll bring up that final prospectus. So those are some of the filing types you can go in there. For the annual report, obviously, once you click through to that, that'll give you all of the annual report information. I usually uh, am looking at the business section, looking at the management discussion and information section, which often breaks out the different business lines, um, and then, obviously, the financials. Um, it's kind of same thing for the, for the 10Q. Mm-hmm. And then for the, um, for the proxy, I like to look for insider ownership. They have a table of insider ownership. <clears throat> I like to look at some of the biographies of both the management and the board members. And then finally, for compensation, there is a table in there that breaks down how much the, the, the top executives get paid, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But I think what's more important is there's a section called compensation discussion and analysis, um, and that actually breaks down how they determine how these people are paid. And I think that's much more important because then you get to learn about the incentives at work in the company. And one quick computer function that makes it a little bit easier, if you're looking for... We talk about Bank of America. Say you want to look for Brian Moynihan in the proxy statement. You can do Control F, use the search function because these documents can be right. a lot of Three, a lot of pages there. Yeah, uh, pages so if you're so. just looking for Moynihan, search Moynihan. If you're in the K, just interested in the investment banking business, use that. Uh, so once you're in there, if you don't want to tackle the entire thing in one sitting, use the search function and find what you need. And rarely will you want to tackle. The, oh, I should mention the the risk factors too. That's something that I. Overlook 10K risk factor section that can be pretty interesting. Yep. On that note, risk factors. Let's move on to the game for today. Oh no, no I'm sorry. The mailbag. The mailbag. Um, Don't I'm forget the mailbag. Getting way excited. Mailbag. WTMI at fool.com. That's our email address. Send us an email. We love getting emails. Uh, we got a question today from Reader Aspen asking, "What leads a company to trade below one times? I'm assuming that's probably tangible book value. Is it basically the quality of the management team?" Applying this concept, if you recommended uh, such a stock, is your thesis that the company is in turnaround mode? What are your favorite stocks now that you trade below tangible book value? You guys talked about AIG, Bank of America, and Citigroup on the show. If you each had to rank your top three across the financial sector, what would that list look like? So reasons for it trading below book value, there can be a couple of reasons. One kind of obvious one is that... The market is anticipating that more losses are to come on the assets they hold. Or kind of the more theoretical why it would trade below book value is that the company is not earning a sufficient return on that equity to justify it trading at book value. So if the market wants an 8% return and the company is only generating 5% return on equity, it's going to trade below book value to kind of match that up there. So that's kind of the, I don't know, what do you want to call it? philosophical why it would trade below book value. Uh Uh, So I think that's the market saying going forward, we don't think this company is going to generate sufficient returns to justify it trading at book value. I I think if you look at the, so so that's in theory and then in in practice, I think if you look across all the banks, 
what you'll see is that there's a, a pretty strong correlation between current returns, so current return right. on assets, current return on equity, and the book value multiple that the, that the bank trades at. So <clears throat> what you're going to see is typically less of anticipation by the market and more of just a grading based on current results. So where that can go off the rails is that if you have a bank that is uh, whose results are, are uh, pushed down for some reason, so you look at Bank of America, for instance, which I believe and I see still has a lot of unnecessary, uh, over the long term, unnecessary cost structure in there which can come out and boost returns. Mm-hmm. So if that's being valued on today's uh, returns, that's going to that's gonna be off the mark. Uh, now, you do get some instances where the bank or where the market is forward-looking. Right. So in the case of Bank of America, its returns are still very low. You've seen that valuation creep up. Um, so it, there is some anticipation there of, re, uh, of results getting better. Right. And I think another example of that, I believe it's Radian, the mortgage insurer that was just crushed during the crisis, very unprofitable, still unprofitable, but it's now trading well above book value. So the market's saying, okay, we now see that Radian has a path to return to profitability, so we're going to go ahead and adjust for that in the price. So now the, the three that were mentioned in the question, AIG, Bank of America, and Citigroup, is Bank of America still trading below book value? Book value, yes, not tangible. Not tangible, okay. So, so those three are, are trading below book value. If you were to rank those in order of, of how much you like them, uh, what would your ranking be? I'm going to keep that order, AIG, Bank of America, and Citigroup. I'm going to flip the second two. I'm going to go AIG, Citigroup, Bank of America. There you go. Now we're going to move on to the game, and the game for today is fool in the blank. We've got three scenarios here. Each one, there is a blank, and we're going to fool it in. We'll try. Or fill it in, whichever way. Uh, First scenario, we've got Jamie Dimon is blank to continue holding on to both CEO and chairman of J.P. Morgan. David, fool in that blank. Semi-justified? Semi-justified. Semi-justified. You're just giving the the semi there. Why? Semi-justified. The semi is there because of everything that's happened in terms of internal controls, all the problems, whether it be happened at other companies under his watch. The justified part of it is the fact that the company's still been able to produce incredible profits, and if these messes get cleaned up, they should do so in the future. So semi-justified, what do you say? I think Jamie Dimon is right to hold on to both the CEO and chairmanship. And this doesn't necessarily have as much to do with Jamie Dimon as it has to do with leadership in general. I I don't know that I'm necessarily actually let me let me say this I'm not on board with the idea that you want to distribute out the responsibility for running a company far and wide among a whole bunch of different people that are all going to have to interact. I, I think that at the end of the day you really you need people there where the buck stops. You, you need somebody where the, you can say the buck stops here. You're in charge. You're responsible. You're the person that we're going to turn to if things go wrong. When you get these companies where you have uh, too much diffusion in the leadership, then then you get all this finger pointing. And I think that may be what uh, part of what J.P. Morgan ran into with the whole London Whale situation. You had a lot of people not really knowing who was in charge, not really knowing who was uh, who they were looking at, and you got a lot of people pointing fingers at each other, saying, "Oh, oh, well, you know, this guy said this," and this. so. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of having a CEO, you know, a top person that you can say, it's on you. Right. Second scenario. Second scenario is blank is the bank most likely to get the scale of the big four U.S. banks. Who are you going with? I'm going to say that U.S. Bank Corp. is the bank most likely to get to scale the big four. And I know I I wanted to get away from U.S. Bank Corp. because it's the next largest. Mm -hmm. So it's potentially the most obvious. 
I wanted to go with Capital One, um, but I think after the the um, acquisitions that it's made, Capital One may take a rest for a little bit. I don't think it's in uh, full-on acquisition mode. And you were just talking about yesterday how U.S. Bancorp has said that it is looking at being acquisitive. So uh, I think U.S. Bancorp gets there. I'm going with PNC, much smaller than U.S. Bancorp, much smaller than the big Not four. Not much smaller. 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 <laughs> uh, but I'm looking out 10 years. I don't think they're getting there in the next couple, maybe 10, 20 years, but I think they have the right strategy in place to scale their operations, whether it be the consumer bank, which is, is relying on technology, mm-hmm. moving into wealth management. They have a capital markets presence. They have an investment banking arm. They're small, but they have the opportunity to, to get bigger and potentially go international as their clients get bigger and go international. So I'm going to PNC. All right. Final scenario. Blank is one thing every good mortgage REIT needs. Stable funding. Very exciting Ooh, stuff. That is good. Stable funding. So mortgage REITs, uh, thinking about the agency ones, Annaly, Annaly Capital and American Capital Agency, they buy agency mortgage-backed securities and do that by borrowing, funding their, uh, their purchases with repo agreements. They can be a little bit risky. Um, so stable funding, American Capital Agency, they have 32 counter, counterparties that they borrow from. And in that volatile environment that we saw during the summer, they didn't have to take an additional haircut from any of their uh, funding sources. Same with Annaly. So they had stable funding costs. Yes, their books suffered, but they should be able to get through it because of Do that you think stable you can, funding. Can, can you ever really call repo funding stable funding, though? Don't you think it would be more more long? Th- I, I mean, I, I agree that in theory, yeah. I, I said patience is one thing every good mortgage REIT needs uh, because this is it's an investment. It's an investing uh, company basically. Mm-hmm. It's an investing fund, an investment fund. So what I want to see is a management team that has the patience to uh, be able to look towards what's on the horizon. So take advantage of, of situations that are advantageous when they're here, but when they're not, like the current, like the current time, uh, scale back and then, and then wait for a time that's, that's better for investing. And I think uh, Annalie, to their, cre- to their credit, uh, has been doing that. All right. Let's finish off on the Twitter sphere. David, what's our first tweet? First tweet is from Eric Schatzker. Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's probably Close enough. Is Citigroup still a universal bank? CEO Michael Corbett just told me people shouldn't want us to be everything to everyone. Hashtag Davos. Should any company be everything to everyone? That's the question. Maybe. Really? It makes the customer happy, maybe. Are you, you, you are a big fan of Citigroup. Are you, do you want them to be everything? I no, mean, do you want them no, to be of course bank? not. I, I, don't, I don't think any company should be trying to be everything to everyone. And, and, and obviously, it's not everything, everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about within the financial right. s- sphere. But we want to see some sort of competitive advantage. We want to see some place where, uh, where the bank or the company excels versus its competitors. And when you spread yourself that broadly, it's, it's very unlikely that you will be able to set yourself apart, except being able to say we're everything to, everything, everything to everyone. Um, and, and I just don't think that that's strong. I thought he was talking about everything. I want Citigroup to like make my burritos. I want them to do everything. Compete with Amazon. They're going to jump in with Amazon. Yes. They're going to strike the deal with the movie studios and offer live TV. Sounds good. Citigroup, live TV. <laughs> All right, next tweet. We've got CNN at the NYSE. Applause on the NYSE floor as Santander Consumer USA officially begins trading. Uh, SC is the ticker symbol, up 8% in the public debut. Uh, David, this is a uh, Spanish and Latin American-focused 
bank uh, IPOing its mm-hmm. its Latin uh, or one of its U.S. lending arms right. here uh, on the on the exchanges. You excited about this? Maybe not excited. Uh, it's a it's a company, a finance company that specializes in subprime auto loans, which has been a good business to be in the last couple of years. Subprime auto loans almost have tripled since 2009. Granted, that was a very low base in 2009, but the business has come back. Uh, Santander Consumer USA has a partnership with Chrysler to be kind of one of the primary lenders for them. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's interesting. We've gotten some questions about the parent company, Banco Santander, and which I, don't, I think is actually a pretty. I, I think it's, it's an interesting. interesting story, right? Given the fact their exposure that they, to growth market and they spin off all these companies. I guess you can call them to, to get equity and get the growth in different markets. So maybe it's interesting. CEO of Santander Consumer USA owns about ten percent of the company. Banco Santander still owns the majority of it. So CEO with a lot of skin in the game, maybe an interesting space. Uh, so maybe you want to put it on your radar. Leave it at that. Uh, finish this off with the last tweet. The last tweet of the day is from 5SOS Updates. Seriously, I could live on Vegemite on toast. And I bring this up because we have some Australian fools in the office from our Australian uh, locations, and they brought some Vegemite, the weird stuff from Australia. I think it's Vegemite. But how do you call it? <laughs> Vegemite. Vegemite. Close enough. <laughs> uh, did you try it? I'm scared to try it. I didn't. It looks, it looks kind of strange to me. And what I've heard about Vegemite is that it's an acquired taste, which usually means to me it doesn't taste good. So that is our question for today. Anyone listening, do you like Vegemite or however you say it? Have you ever even had Vegemite? What do you put it on? This person put it on toast. Would you put it on like lobster? <laughs> Anything? I'm interested to hear. All right. Well, that's a good question for the day. And that's the show for today. Uh, You can find us on Twitter, at TMF Financials. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Sector. I'm Matt Kopenheffer, here for David Hansen. And you can find us again tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.